So episode one, hello and welcome to the first episode of Expertly Said, the show that aims to discuss, learn, prompt and agitate big thinking for today's world. Particularly as a, well, self-confessed technology nerd, um, I'm keen to explore how technology is transforming the way we work. So in 10, 20, 50 years time, what will the future of work look like? What are some of the skills we're going to need to work in the future? And why is that exciting? And today, to help me answer some of these questions, I want to welcome Kat Angelidis, who is a fellow geek like myself, solution designer, technology consultant, who has hands-on experience in future-proofing organizations, using technology, and understands some of the challenges that they're currently going through, and particularly during this time in COVID, where organizations have had to run and jump quite quickly. So welcome, Kat. And before we dive in, would you like to introduce yourself? Awesome. Thanks, Dee. Very excited to be joining you today and, of course, kicking off uh, the first one with some very big questions about the world we live in and this new new normal that we are adjusting and adapting to as humans. Uh, so I'm Kat and I've been working in the digital transformation space for about five years as a solution designer and, and project manager. So in transformation, you don't always know where it's heading. So very much the need to play a solution designer and project manager have gone pretty hand in hand. So my experience has been um, really designing to future state in most examples. So helping businesses and people to get from current state to future state and figuring out what that looks like. My energy and passion comes from playing in that gray space and how all the complexities fit together as is really the space I love to play in. I, I do find transformation a really creative process and I've really enjoyed that. Um, and I'm really fortunate that creativity plays out in a lot of different ways in my life. So very juxtaposed. My passion for technology is definitely there. Um, and on the other side to balance me out, I am a hip hop dancer, which awesome. uh, Dee will know because we've <laughs> thrown down together on a dance floor before. Uh, so super fortunate that I've got these kind of crazy juxtaposed parts of me and that allow me to create in just crazy different ways mm. and really polar opposite. Um, but, yeah, so it's a space I'm super passionate about. And then super future of work nerd. Uh, I've never been a great historian, so looking forward <laughs> has always worked for me, um, for sure. So I guess the future of work, it's its a huge question and um, it's every future of work nerds dream some of these rapid changes that you touched on and a lot of the challenges that I probably had before on driving a case for change and uh, forcing people's hand at trying the new tech that I'm, you know, parading around and getting people to adopt. A lot of those things have disappeared, absolutely. So um, it's really proven to ask COVID what a burning platform can do for change, right? We look at organisations at the moment and it's not an option. Whether you stick to, to old ways of working or normal, it's like, you need to use a laptop now from your house to talk to your colleagues. So um, from a change management perspective, it's everyone's dream, right, that mm. the case for change is actually critical. It's not, it's not optional. But I think when we talk about the future, I don't think that we will be able to uh, predict tangibles of what it looks like. We identify a lot of mega trends that 
um, you know, being digital connects us more as a global, as a globe and, and how we connect and learn from each other. And we know that we've got more data and all those kind of things we know are now becoming prevalent. But I think what COVID is an example is we live in this crazy VUCA world, as they dub it. So the volatile, um, what is it again? Volatile. I'm forgetting my U. But anyway, I'll skip to CNA, but <laughs> complex and ambiguous. Oh, uncertain, sorry. So VUCA world, so volatile, uncertain, um, complex and ambiguous. But whilst we don't know what the world is going to look like, I think there is no regrets work that we can do to be personally ready for it and uh, at an organisational level ready for it and as a society. So I think for us it's more... For example, we know mindset needs to needs to change. So what we what's been pretty exciting about this space is overnight our inner mad scientists to like innovate and create and invent solutions to stuff has just exploded, mm. right? Like before there was resistance to change and there was all these kind of archaic systems or outdated processes that we'll get to later to fixing or, you know, we asked ourselves more the reason why we couldn't do something radical, whereas now it's just pushed us into this middle and eruption that is we have no choice but to to overcome those barriers and evolve and push forward. And I think what the most exciting part is for me is it puts creativity innovation as a must mm. um, and at the heart of everything we do. Um, and I think that it's at the moment, I think we're in this weird kind of holding patch, right? It sounds kind of dark, but normal doesn't exist anymore. Like we can't really go back um so whilst that's unsettling in a way there has been a pretty impressive adaptation of the human race and businesses and how we've you know stopped making gin and started making sanitizer in our supply chains right to to meet problems of society and all that so i think the opportunity for us is to to keep on this train and ask bigger questions and agitate forward. And, you know, at the moment we've adapted to the immediate need, which was, you know, get online and um, change a logistics chain or, or anything like that or your business model. But really to thrive is mm. that leap forward. Like let's go hard at it, yeah? Like mm. let's think bigger. Like what is our strategy? Where are we going? Or if we don't know, how do we create more flexible models mm. how do we create flexibility in actually the way that we work so that no matter what happens we can flip and pivot and modify and and be positioned to face whatever it is that we need on that where you mentioned we just need to keep pushing forwards which i kind of agree with because unless you push forward and be a bit bold you're not really going to innovate but having said that how do you bring people along that journey with you particularly people who are probably a bit more uncomfortable with change and don't like to, they like to stick to the steady and ready approach. How do you win them over and how do you give them confidence and courage to come along on the journey with you? Mm. Yeah, great question. So uh, there's, there's kind of two parts to it. I think from a collective, uh, the culture, if you can get your culture right, transformation should be part of what you're doing all the time. Like if innovation isn't a buzzword and it's built into 
the artifacts of, of the way that you guys operate. So you actually have time to innovate or the company's pain points and gain points are, you know, plastered on the wall for everyone to know so that if they've got good ideas, they know that there's a problem over here and a potential solution could come out of anyone from the mm. organisation. Or if you, for example, have, um, well, you make that, that create that space for people to think bigger and you develop, a, you actually develop a, a fostering innovation culture then change is pretty is pretty normal and exciting and you're and if you can move your company from a or from a personal note even from a fixed to a growth mindset where you see opportunity and potential and all those things then transformation actually is a way of working in your in your culture as well so I think if there's people that are that are anxious and nervous it asks probably a bigger question of why why they feel like that in the culture and how do you combat that? Like how do you make psychological safety that people are encouraged to, to challenge and push and jump and, and run and grow? And I know for me, my, my old colleague and I used to have an art of, like an artifact, I guess, in our team that was hashtag respectfully challenged. <laughs> so mm. it really changed how usually it's awkward if you don't agree with someone's idea. But in respectfully challenge, it was like, dude, love it, love it. But have you also thought about this, right? Yeah. And it would start this like healthy challenge towards a better outcome. Or I used to have a boss that um, who's, who's, you know, hugely impacted the way that I am personally and professionally because as an intern, she just told me to run, jump and grow. Mm. So I had no idea that like red tape and hierarchy existed because I was too busy chasing a solution to a problem, right? So Developing leadership capacity at all levels and making it part of your ways of working that we do ask bigger questions, we challenge each other, you make sure that when you have a team call, everyone has spoken when you leave it um, or everyone. At, we used to have, I started another one on our project team that was Thoughts Feels Vibe. So at the end of the, <laughs> the call, everyone had to go around and share their Thoughts Feels Vibes. So it was this really colloquial way to make sure that it was a really collective, uh, they call it citizen-led innovation. So how you get your actual collective to be driving that innovation and that change. So I think if you're, the ultimate goal obviously is to have a culture where it's okay and it's encouraged. So the transformation is is normal, right? Mm. And you're always progressing and pivoting. In organisations where it's not like that and that readiness isn't really there and, and people are unsure. I think in those circumstances it is really dependent on leaders to create certainty in uncertainty. Um, for me, from a personal perspective, to your question earlier around leading, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> my, um, I was technically really advanced but my mindset took a lot longer to get there for sure. Um, and there was a huge kind of shift in my career and development and letting go a lot of my old, old ways of working and mindset. I used to design very much from knowing every inch of everything. So some of the first solutions I did, I knew everything like the back of my hand. I knew how everything was interdependent, which meant there was no room for the unknown because I'd already planned for every contingency and nothing could go wrong because I'd already had planned <laughs> A to Z for it. And then I got put on my first uh, global project and I was leading um, one of one of five Australian pillars of it. 
and it completely shook me. Like I'd gone from designing really OCD to we were um, rolling out a global product, yep. um, which meant as a, as a receiving territory, we couldn't design things to fit for us. So r- rather than me designing, you know, to solve a problem, it was kind of the opposite. It was here's the solution, go go roll it out. Um, and it's funny, I guess, because in parallel to the transformation, I had to transform. <laughs> so I had to only lead with really knowing one or two steps in front of me rather than designing from the end game, rather than seeing future state and designing the roadmap there. I could only really lead with one or two pieces of information to, to step forward. So for me, leading into the unknown and not really knowing where I was going was a huge personal shift um, and how I had to upskill it as a, as a transformational leader in that time. Personally, for me, I made decisions aligned to future state. That was my guiding um, compass. But I had to also accept that the decisions I made, hey, looking back, knowing more, probably would have done them differently. But in that situation, I would have made those decisions time and time and again, because you're basing them on the knowledge that, that you have. And I found that it was actually most important as a leader that I kept my cool. That became like leading into the unknown. You need to be really manage yourself as the linchpin on how the team reacts. And, so what, did you learn? Me, and what, what did you learn from that? Because I'm guessing you were probably working to really tight deadlines or unrealistic <laughs> deadlines. Um, were you working by yourself or did, was you working with a, with a large team? How did, that, how did that work? Yeah, for sure. So I was leading um, a team of, there were 70 people in the function and I was uh, leading a significant transformational and, sorry, technology and operating model transformation. So not only were we getting a piece of technology that was going to change how we worked, we were also changing the way our team was structured. So a lot of digital transformation and of course, automation is to reduce some of those transactional tasks that we do and really elevate um, your people in those more strategic and higher up kind of thinking and tasks. Um, So for me, it was a lot of people to lead and I, it was new for me. It was my first global. It was the first time I was leading that, um, that piece of tech, I guess. So for me, it became more, I guess, creativity actually became how I solved for it, I guess. Um, I actually just had to create the space for me to um, understand all the pieces and make decisions on what I see as the next one or two steps forward and create clarity out of something that wasn't clear. So being my first big project, I remember I used to go to the library and I'd lock myself in there <laughs> and I would just sit on it and it was just this creative process and I would be like, I don't have the answer, I don't have the answer. And like any creative creative block would resonate with that, that one day you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, I've got it, I've got it. And you and you see all the pieces and it was so, the weirdest thing to you was that I would piece it together and I would make it into a tangible plan and I would look at it and I'd go, I think that's right. And then I would have to go into these meetings and and convince my leaders that this was the plan and stick to it. And it was crazy that 
by me talking to it, it became clear. And if I said it with confidence and clarity and made clarity for other people, they actually then were able to align and work towards that plan. And that was, that was crazy to mm. know that it was actually me pulling rabbits out of a hat and, and making the best solution that I could and creating what I thought was right, knowing all the pieces, but how much you, you giving confidence and clarity to that allows other people to do the same um, and, and invest in that, in that process as well. So that was pretty crazy. And then I was really fortunate to have a, um, a boss and mentor at the time who always had an appropriate analogy for, you know, my life crisis and work-life crisis at the time. And <laughs> I remember absolutely lose. he was the only one I ever confided in, right, when I was losing, losing it because losing it in front of my team, you know, that does – um, put in, you know, you know, that some of that doubt and stuff. Mm. So I still needed to work through that, but I had my project, the wider project manager looking after me. And I remember one day just absolutely like stressed off, off my head. And he just looks at me and goes, cat, how do you eat an elephant? And I was like, <laughs> why on earth would I be eating an elephant right now? Do you not know that I have bigger fish to fry? And he's like, but cat, how, how would you eat it? Come on, come on. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, bit by bit. And he's like, exactly, bit by bit. Don't try and eat the whole elephant because you'll stress yourself, you'll paralyze yourself in your thoughts and what to do next to move forward. Bit by bit, face the, the challenge in front of you, make sense of that and continue to build out. So that I guess that concept of having to build out and and build as I go and as I learnt more information was really different to how I designed before, really OCD and knowing all the pieces of the puzzle. Um, it was more like giving a, getting a piece every couple of days and figuring out where it goes. Mm. Um, so I think that what's been bizarre is you think after you finish a transformation that you know how the next one's going to play out or the process, but really every transformation is different and working in this space, um, designing in it or leading, there's an element of flex that you mm. just have to flex with it. You have to transform and grow. And these projects were 12 months. So they were, you know, which felt like seven by the end of it, they felt like dog ears, but you know, they're big periods of my life as well. So to be on that journey with something from its embryonic state to then the design and the delivery and then seeing it go live and stabilise it, you know, there were huge um, learning curves for me and each one left me with, you know, the same strengths and a few scars and the beautiful, mm. weird and wonderful mm. things that come with it. So I think anyone in this space, you have to allow an element of flex because usually your future state, it serves a purpose of what direction you're going, but usually your end state is not exactly where you dreamt it to be. And that's totally okay because mm. once you get there, you know, the world moves, things change, baby. You don't want to be <laughs> stuck to things that don't serve you anymore, right? <laughs> you got to roll with it. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, and I think one of the important things that I picked out of that was having leaders that give you the time and space um, and trust to just let you figure it out um, and just knowing that they've kind of got your back and, and helping you through that, um, especially for the for the creative as well, you know, mm. where we're always solution focused. So we, we always find at least 5,000 ways to kind of solve a problem. It's just picking which one best suits what we need to do. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And 
being so young in my career, when I went down this path, um, it's become really important for me that leaders know that as well. I've been really fortunate that they understand it's a creative process. So there's days where it's 2 p.m. and I come up dry. I'm like, guys, I don't have it today. I'll try again tomorrow, you know. And then on other days I, I see that vision and I'll happily work a really long day and into the night if that's when I best work. So I think leaders need to, you know, these kind of traditional structures have already were in some organisations were, were progressive and going going out of fashion anyway, but COVID's even flipped that mm. even more. Like all the rule book of anything has just been thrown out, right? Like when you have a bigger problem to solve as how we get through COVID that trumps every other problem you even had, like it does create this crazy like baseline and new space to just try other things, you know, like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So it's actually a really cool um, time to shake stuff up. And a lot of industries that were really hesitant before you, you know, you read about them, they've achieved, you know, 10 years of change, like overnight, mm. like my mum, my mum trying to complain to me about working from home and rah, rah, rah. <laughs> I'm like, mate, it's part of life, dude. Like <laughs> get on board. Uh, sure. Awesome. So having taken an organization completely through a transformational change, what have you seen as some of the byproducts of a successful transformation? Mm, great question. I, I've been quite fortunate as well that the transformations I've seen, or, or sorry, this is probably personally <laughs> from, the, from a learning perspective, I've definitely seen where pockets do and don't work. Um, probably the biggest uh, like lesson or thing to call out is a lot of digital transformation efforts or investments the benefits aren't realized. It's a very common uh, pitfall of digital transformation mm -hmm. for sure. And where I've seen that, um, where I see that really plays out is, again, usually when you're investing in a piece of technology, before you put the tech in, there's a piece of process refinement that has to happen. You have to have consistent processes before you can slap tech on it. Mm -hmm. Or otherwise you're going to over-configure over your tech and it's never going to work. So as you start to consolidate and refine processes um, for efficiencies and you can automate them, you really want your people to then not be spending their time on that transactional task and move up the chain to more strategic and high mm -hmm. impact and, 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 and that kind of work. But what happens when you implement a system and you take away the transactional stuff but you don't proactively and strategically move your people along that curve, then we'll just find new stuff to be busy with. <laughs> like, we'll yeah. find new stuff to do our time. Like, you can take my ad admin and I'll find new admin. So there's, like, this window of opportunity that goes along with it, and that is where you need to capitalise. You need to help your people and invest in what skills they need to be to be future state. There's no point having, like, shiny architecture and tools that are future fit if your people and your skills aren't. So if you're going to move people from doing transactional work, how do you invest in them in parallel to your technology? So you come out the other side with a future fit way of working and people and mindset, and you've actually moved yourself along that, that chain to where you need to be for sure. I guess around uh, the, the skills piece. So um, 
the skills piece is really cool uh, because we're in this weird. Um, as in, uh, as in skills of, for the future? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I guess probably starts a little bit back before that, but we're in this really weird space of time right now um, with our industrial revolutions and where we are. So uh, we are hovering somewhere before <laughs> between the fourth and fifth industrial revolution at the moment and COVID's obviously accelerated and turbocharged elements of that, but... What's crazy is we had pretty advanced tech in the third industrial revolution. So tech's, tech's been changing the way we we work for ages and the way we live and connect and communicate. Um, but when we saw Industry 4.0, that was when it, we really had a focus on dehumanisation. So everything was how do we automate and machine learning and, you know, now our shoe talks to our watch and like crazy mm. internet of things and everything talking to each other. And then now moving towards industry 5.0, there was already a, a recognition that we need to bring people along the journey and we need to really reconcile how mad and machine work together so that, you know, people still have a role in society and that we are using tech to enable a positive way of living and, and how we work rather than just taking stuff away. So we already identified that we needed to bend back practices to be to be humans or invest in human capabilities so that we can work with this tech. But I think what COVID's done, which is kind of cool, is, well, not cool because obviously we are in a health and economic crisis, but what is cool is it has brought us back to, I guess, human needs, right? Like this crisis has highlighted to us the importance of, of health and access to healthcare or even food at the supermarket or being able to go for a walk so you can be in the natural world. Like it has showed us what it means to be human and checking for mental health and connecting with people. Like it really has pushed us back to a more human basic needs and human first um, world, I guess. And I think that's what we really needed to do anyway, moving towards industry 5.0. We needed to start thinking about humans more than just making cool, crazy tech and not thinking about the, the circumstances. So we're already kind of seeing that. And so I guess when it comes to skills, it's investing in all those human capabilities in what makes us um the things we can still, I guess, be the machine at. So like the creativity <laughs> and emotional intelligence and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, they used to, for a long time, they've referred to them around the C's. So like creativity, critical thinking and, and complex problem solving. But I think what we'll also start to see or have seen in COVID as well um, is more, I guess, like design. We've all had to become designers and mad scientists. So um, how we, I guess, show more like adaptive mindsets. So now we have to link, you know, multiple concepts and understand the interdependencies of different things, right? Yeah. So we can't look at like healthcare in isolation or anything in isolation anymore. We have to understand the interdependencies and how we design across those different planes. So I think that adaptive kind of designer, mad scientist uh, skill set <laughs> will come through if I can even call it that. Um, and, and a lot around this idea of cognitive flexibility as well. So we need to be able to, um, make sense of a lot of disjointed information and mm. design from that and create through that. And, you know, for me, that's really exciting because 
that's been my career in transformation. And on my best days, Dee, that's all I do. On my best days, I'm just making, I'm just designing and building and breaking it down, having my own breakdowns and then rebuilding. And you know, <laughs> like that's what I see work is, you know, inherently creative. So I think the elements that are going to stay and we need to invest more in is how we get people to get excited about that. How do we make people opportunists who see opportunity and problems and people and, you know, society and how do we drive good, good results from that, I guess, and help move people along for sure. Mm. So, so on that, what advice would you give to leaders of organizations who probably acknowledge that they need to change and change quickly? Mm-hmm. But I may be a bit nervous around the impacts on their people. Um, maybe you're going to get some disenfranchised people who, who, mm. uh, who like to stick to the status quo. What, what advice would you give organizations who are at the beginning of their journey? Mm, yeah well it's kind of there's a few things to it I guess from like the followership so they've got your leaders and then the people that you are leading um they are probably really change fatigued one I think we are all change fatigued the amount of life and work and family and all the things we've had to go through this year we're all pretty exhausted from that but I also think there is a glimmer of light that people are looking for that leadership and direction out of this because this is this is obviously kicked off everyone's transformation journey, but it's been reactive. Like this hasn't been proactive transformation. It's been like, hey, overnight we have to digitally enable our infrastructure to operate from people's houses and not operate in a building anymore. So this has been really reactive change management. Um, so I think what leaders right now, and whilst it's hard to find the bandwidth probably themselves to do so they really need to to dig deep and find that space to to think where to next I think that's that big question that it's a simple but it's a big one where to next from here I think getting people to engage with that a lot of people are probably looking for that leadership it helps them to feel like they're progressing forward I think in I know for me or or a lot of people I speak to it's hard to not feel like things are kind of on pause when our life is like this. So how do you find other ways to to progress and evolve things? So I think for leaders, it starts in asking where to next, what, what does future state not look like, but our aspirational future state. If we could, if we could get in a room and design it, what kind of things do we want to be there? If we've shed a lot of these old ways of working or things that we thought were priorities that really don't matter anymore or things that we were trying to adopt that now we have and we've got all these digital natives now that are engaged, you know, it's it's thinking where to next? What do you want to stay? What is, what is a future fit model and way of working look like? So not only... Um, where to next, but how do you instill future flexibility, I guess, into your people and your models? Um, so I think it's it's starting, I guess, with that that vision and that end game. Again, I don't think that will always be where you end up, but I think we really need to think bigger. So again, our approach to COVID has been reactive and it's been to deal with, you know, a burning need. Mm. But now we need to ask bigger questions because step change isn't going to cut it. Like the world changes stuff overnight and 
the disruption is is instantaneous. Like when you used to get like a new flip phone that had like a sick version of snake on it. Yeah, cool. Get that in two years on my Christmas list. Now it's like <laughs> overnight, baby, like whole new industry or whole new industry doesn't doesn't exist. So the disruptors are, t- are too big and too quick that step change just isn't going to cut it anymore. Like we need to think bigger. We need to take that leap to thrive forward. They need to be bold, ask big questions. I think probably like from a framework or a way to think about it, the dimensions of work are really helpful. So what is, what is the work? Uh, what is the workforce? Uh, what is the workplace? So even asking yourself basic questions around that is really helpful. So are we moving forward to virtual workplaces? Are we committing to it or, or what does that look like? Like I think for me, even even digital workplaces, I still think we need physical connection, but now you would design your physical offices to be these cool like innovation hubs, right? It's like, yo, D, let's go do a project kickoff and they would be designed, you know, with whiteboards and maybe one row of desks. So you would still have like hubs and workplace hubs, but they wouldn't be rows and rows and desks anymore. So thinking about those bigger, broader dimensions. So what is your workplace and how does your infrastructure, so your strategy, your tech, your process, behaviors, your culture, how does all that infrastructure reflect what you want your work, where you're striving your workplaces to be? And that then feeds into um, like the work that we're doing, what what space are we playing in? Because for a lot of businesses, they've had to they've had to pivot or are playing in a different space or to a new customer or or a different um, market. So, what's the actual work we want to be doing, and where's the gap from where we're doing it, what we're doing today, and what we want to be doing tomorrow? Because that's probably going to determine what your strategic agendas are and where you're going to spend your initiatives and your investment. It's probably that gap to get to getting that that over. And then when you think about your workforce, what you want that to look like, that comes around to, to shape as well and skills. And what's been pretty cool about COVID is like global, like sorry, geographical limitations don't exist anymore. Like you can be a corporate corporate city slicker, but really you work in the bush, like <laughs> mobilities anywhere, right? Um, so then you ask those same questions around your, your workforce. What shape and size does this need to be? Do I need teams that are product and marketing or whatever it is? Or do I need teams that actually are multidisciplinary, you know, and they pump out, you know, the different drip feeds of projects or whatever it is. But, you know, we don't really, traditional structures may not work based on the resources we have now. We need to build flexibility in that. And, and even skills. So having like upskilling is huge. Like if we're starting to, a lot of organizations have obviously had to cut back on, on resources and things that they yeah. do with the significant impact of COVID. So we've had to make pretty um, big decisions on where you cut costs to, to stay viable and sustainable. And that also means that people in most roles have had to take on additional hats. Or we've even seen like new jobs come about workplace and digital workplace health and wellness, you know. So I think probably, again, I've just gone on a tangent of things to think about. Um, It's so complex, I guess, or not complex is the wrong word. It's so cool how there's so many interdependencies. And I guess that's insight to how my brain in 
this space works. But if we can all start to be more curious about where we're going and asking questions, I think for me, even contributing to conversation in this space, it's not about having the answers of the end game, but it's about having this discussion so that we can spark ideas and start to even capture the inches of it. Cause that's, what's cool. Yeah. And if we're all having conversations like this across the organization, that's where the magic happens. That's when like we become this innovation culture and, and move forward. So yeah, I guess that's the journey, but I, I encourage them to really step into this because it's a pretty opportunistic time um, and they're halfway there anyway, right? Like the kettle's boiled, it's bubbling, so use it and run with it for sure. Great, yeah, and one of the things that I think that I've taken away from this conversation is that organisations need to be able to be, need to be flexible enough to be able to respond to situations like COVID, you know, something like that could come out of the blue and it's it's mm. how you can manage that and how you can navigate through that change um, at pace. Um, Absolutely. At pace is so interesting as well because, like, considering what's happened, like, we have adapted pretty well at pace considering. And, yeah, there's things we could have done better, you know, as a society or, or a globe, but considering what we're faced with at pace, I would say we're doing we're doing pretty well. And to your point, like how does at pace become in your operating rhythm? So this is normal. Yeah. (laughs) Like they know they're going to be disrupted all the time. We know that there's going to be new people in the market or new products. So being flexible at a pace needs to become your new normal. Mm. Well, that was great, Kat. Thank you very much. (laughs) So enjoyable. I'm like charging over here. Yeah, you're like so talking. Good. I was just like, no, keep going, keep going. This is, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap up, I want to talk about your online community that you started, which came out of COVID actually, which sparked some, some innovation, which talks to your passion of dance. Um, so would you like to tell us about your booby series <laughs> that you, the, the online dance community that you run on Instagram and how can people get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm really fortunate to have another really big passion in my life, which is dancing and love bringing that into people's lives. So uh, like many of us, uh, having our hobbies and passion, I really came to life really with the extra time in isolation. Uh, But it also sparked a, a huge opportunity for me because I didn't have to think about a physical studio or some of the bigger overheads of um, teaching. I had a Zoom account and a laptop, so was feeling pretty impressed with myself as a as a digital digital girl. <laughs> um, so I started teaching via Zoom, which was hilarious and ironic that my two worlds collided. And uh, you know, all our hair flips are like two beats with it, with a time lag. So should be hitting on an eight, but hitting on a two, (laughs) but we make it work. Um, and what's been pretty incredible over this time is you think that with tech and not seeing people in person, that it's going to be harder to build relationships and communities and connectivity. But in my experience, it's been, it's been the opposite. People are a lot more themselves. They're in their, they're in their houses and, um, I've, you know, ended jobs and started jobs and danced 
as a student and as a teacher in this time and my networks have grown so much. So um, Boogie Series is awesome. We are a, we are a dance collective and we're really about bringing people together to create that amazing energy and connection and empowerment through dance. Uh, we literally operate at Zoom. So I, like a dance studio, you go to the meeting ID and I am there to welcome you. It's it's the experience of a dance school, but just online. Um, and, yeah, it's great. We have uh, kind of people coming through every Saturday and you can dance alone in your lounge room, but also at the end, you know, we put it on Gridview and we all wave to our community and we dance it out together. And it's actually pretty crazy that our community is entirely virtual. Uh, the, the, you know, in-person reunion is going to be absolutely next level. Um, that if you want to get involved, you'll be able to find us as Boogie Series. So Boogie, B-O-O-G-I-E uh, Series on Instagram. Um, come through. I'll be there to welcome you to the dance floor. Can't wait. <laughs> awesome. And I have follows, but I'm not, I haven't been in a dance class yet, but I will join <laughs> one day. Well, we've we've met on a few dance floors, D. So That's right. you'll um, be, you'll, you'll show me up. So we'll have I'm to not stand sure about the that. Back. 